I'm Bonnie Harrison and welcome to the Details Long Read. This week, Jungle Warfare by Alan Rikers, published in New Zealand Geographic's March-April edition. Hundreds of pest plant species, many of them garden SKPs, run rampant in New Zealand's biggest city. It's thought Auckland has more invasive plant species than any other city in the world. Now, its citizens are fighting back. You can find the full article, with photographs by Adrian Malik in this month's issue of New Zealand Geographic, or at nzgeo.com. This is a weeded-down version of Jungle Warfare. Sweat drips down Richard Margison's brow as he rappels down the slope. It's a scorcher day on Waiheke Island. Cicadas thrum. The sun beats on the grassy cliff overlooking the boats of Oneroa Bay, but Margison has no time for sightseeing. His objective is to free about 50 native seedlings from the clutches of a mortal enemy. It takes a good half hour, but the mission is successful. The roped-up assassin returns to the safety of flat ground. Margison, an army veteran, has spent the last few years bringing his military skills and tactics to a new battle here on Waiheke. We're not fighting humans, thank God, but rather fighting a biological enemy, he says. It's a war on weeds in what may be the world's weediest city. In Auckland, the warm and wet climate, combined with plentiful gardens, creates the perfect recipe for a weed invasion. It's thought the city has more invasive plant species than any other in the world. Nearly 300 have made it onto Auckland Council's list of most wanted, from bog bean to devil's fig to pampas. To put this in context, New Zealand is home to around 2,300 native plants. Humans have introduced a further 25 to 30,000 plants from overseas, some inadvertently, but many on purpose. Around 1,800 of these exotics have gone rogue, establishing a foothold in the wild. Their numbers swell by about 20 new plants every year. Most of these interlopers started out growing in our gardens. 400 or so are managed as weeds, at a cost of $1 billion annually. On Waiheke, a weed hotspot, the battle is in full swing. Margison and his crew of eight are contracted to focus on six species. Moth plant, woolly nightshade, evergreen buckthorn, climbing asparagus and two types of ginger. This morning, in Newton Reserve, the crew have already tackled a gnarly moth plant infestation. Margison compares pest plant control to jungle warfare and draws on the concept of grid clearing to systematically purge pest plants across 51 nature reserves on Waiheke, covering just under 3,000 hectares. The crew will march through a grid, free every tree of any pest plants present and get them down onto the forest floor. A second grid march disposes of the enemy, a cautious approach that minimises herbicide use and reduces friendly fire. These grids are surveyed each year until any seeds lying dormant in the soil have been exhausted. That's how we win, says Margison. It's a war of attrition. What exactly is a weed? While Western perspectives zoom in on individuals, a weed is a plant growing in the wrong place, Te Ao Māori takes a wider view. 
Environmental researcher Amanda Black notes that plants we might consider weedy could be valued by Māori. Puha, a traditional staple, is a classic example. Different iwi and hapu have different issues and values, she says, and they often take a pragmatic approach. Is it a weed or is it a feed? She goes on, an overarching view would be how a plant fits into the ecosystem. In an ideal world, we'd return everything to natives, but in reality, some of these species have utility for the ecosystem and for people. For example, in Waikato Tainui, Weeping willows provide shelter for native fish, so they are accepted. In other places, introduced but not particularly weedy plants can act as hosts or reservoirs for pathogens, such as myrtle rust and kauri dieback, making their control more of a priority for iwi or hapu. The steady march of such pest plants across our landscapes is a slow-motion ecological disaster, smothering and stifling natives. Things like privet... Taiwan cherry and sycamore can just replace the canopy entirely, out-competing native seedlings and becoming the dominant tree species, says Black. It forms a monoculture, says Margaret Stanley, an ecologist at the University of Auckland. It's not just the tree communities that transform. Our native invertebrates might not find the exotic species tasty. Forests collapse, changes cascade through the ecosystem. Some weeds can change the chemistry of the soil, making it easier for other weeds to invade or even preventing other plants from growing altogether. Rhododendron makes the soil toxic and after they've been removed, you can't replant anything, says Stanley. It's a massive problem in the UK. It's not just native biodiversity that suffers under the burgeoning pest plant regime. Agriculture and primary production are impacted. And people and their pets get injured too. For example, phoenix palms have large spikes. And the sap of the moth plant can cause allergic reactions. Over the past decade, ACC has received 6,600 claims related to pest plants at a cost of more than $3.2 million. It looks like a deformed pear or an alien egg. It's fist-sized, green, and slightly wrinkled. Inside its leathery flesh are 1,000 black seeds attached to feathery wisps, parachutes, to help each seed disperse up to 20 kilometres from the parent. This is the seed pod of the moth plant, a climber originally from South America. The vine, introduced to clamber prettily over garden fences and trellises, now coils its way up native trees and shrubs, strangling and smothering. Snap its stem, and that milky, poisonous sap oozes out. Moth plant is a gateway weed, says Richard Henty, a science teacher and founder of the Society Totally Against Moth Plant, or STAMP. It's one of the first weeds people notice, with its white flowers and eye-catching seed pods, Plus, you can just pull out the roots and watch the vine wither and die, Henty says. No need for chainsaws or spades or lots of weaponry. Henty first encountered moth plant on Motuihe Island and then began seeing it everywhere he looked. He took his students out on short trips around the neighbourhood to tackle it. This soon became a hobby, something he did on the weekends. I wondered if there were other people out there who shared the same bonkers idea of getting rid of moth plant, he says. There were. 
the Stamp Facebook group now has 2,500 members with a core group who put in a fair crack of hours. Moth plant sightings are loaded onto a map which now features 18,000 locations. Last year, we managed to check 8,000 or so locations, Henty says. It's so evil. It's a plant you love to hate, says Josh Salter, who is part of pest-free Kaipatsuki's hit squad. This small but dedicated team of retirees hits the pavement on a Monday morning, door-knocking houses in buffer zones around North Shore reserves and asking, can we see your backyard? Usually the answer is yes. Most people are nice, says fellow door-knocker Ann Denny. And they want to help. Denny reckons there's a lot more awareness of the menaces of weeds than there was 15 years ago. It's a big thing to win hearts and minds, she says. The morning concludes with a free-for-all weeding session in the nearby reserve. On a slope, moth plant creeps under cover of long grass and corkscrews up flax and cabbage trees. But while the work of weeding is taxing, it's also rewarding, even more than tree planting, says Salter. You can immediately see the difference with weeding. Big ones wilt, small ones rooted out form big piles. And once you embark on the weed life, it becomes all-consuming. My wife no longer goes on walks with me because I stop so often to pull out the weeds, one hit squad member says. There is no shortage of frontline action from both community and contractors across Auckland. But New Zealand's current situation is more guerrilla group rather than a well-oiled military machine. In his November 2021 report, Space Invaders, the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment, Simon Upton, dug deep into the weed problem, finding a lack of national leadership and overarching strategy. On-the-ground intelligence often isn't shared between allies, he found, and reports from the front line often depend as much on luck as systematic surveillance. These are issues Keith Salmon has encountered for more than 10 years on his pest plant quest. Salmon is a founder of the Environmental Weed Coalition, or EWC, a collective set up in response to the Space Invaders report. In Auckland, there's a lot of duplication of effort and lack of focus on particular issues, he says. He would like to see a coordinated system that gives community, council and contractors visibility on each other's efforts. One such solution could be mapping with geographic information systems, where data can just be recorded and layers shared between appropriate groups, providing a view that doesn't reveal confidential or commercially sensitive data. In this vein, the EWC has developed the CAMS Weed app. Users log the coordinates of weed infestations and receive automatic prompts to check them regularly. But beyond specific tools... Salmon would like to see a national approach to pest plants that mirrors the predator-free 2050 strategy, minus the end date, because we'll never be fully rid of weeds. Could a weed-free movement mobilise thousands of New Zealanders and millions of dollars to tackle pest plants like predator-free has for a handful of invasive mammals? Upton writes in his report, no such focused call to arms exists on the weeds front. Even the most trithid-like stranglers, such as wild ginger or climbing asparagus, are unable to arouse a sense of outrage the way that a stoat filmed eating a kiwi chick can. The stream is bordered by a blaze of orange, 
Water burbles over white blooms and blue-flowered vines curl up trees. All three of the eye-catching species are pest plants. Montbretia, oxygen weed and blue morning glory. All three are garden escapees. You can see why people wanted to plant these. They're so pretty, says Bella Burgess from Pest-Free Kaipatiki. We're at an undisclosed reserve in Auckland to see another household favourite gone rogue, Tradescantia, or Wandering Willie. This shade-loving species forms dense, glossy carpets in the undergrowth, but here and there you can see patches where the carpet is worn bare and native seedlings peek through. These holes are thanks to an unlikely ally enlisted in the war on weeds. A beetle. Or three. One of the reasons plants can become so invasive is that we tend to bring them in nice and clean, so they don't have all the things that would be eating them back home, says Imogen Bassett, Principal Advisor for Biosecurity at Auckland Council. The solution? Bring in the leaf eaters. Introducing a new species deliberately might seem crazy after the disaster that was bringing in mustelids to control rabbits, but Bassett says the process is extremely rigorous. They have to be really specific. It often takes 8 to 10 years of research to bring a new biocontrol agent into the country, and we have good processes for testing what they will and won't eat, she says. If the would-be biocontrol agent, usually an insect or a fungus, fails these tests... It won't be released. But three species of Tradescantia munching beetles did pass and marched onto the battlefield in 2011. About 40 different types of biocontrol have been approved and released in New Zealand, including mites, moths and even a butterfly, targeting a variety of pests from broom to privet. With close to 300 plant species listed under the Regional Pest Management Plan, Auckland Council is using every weapon in its arsenal, including biocontrol, in the war on weeds. But the scale of the problem necessitates a pragmatic approach. Some species, like privet, have bolted. Others receive sustained control to keep their spread in check, moth planters in this category. The focus isn't just on individual pest plant species, though, Bassett says. It's about where we can protect from pest plants, she says. In places with high ecological value, such as the Hunua and Waitakere ranges, they'll target all weeds, no matter their spread status. On Aotea Great Barrier Island, moth plant is still relatively sparse, so a local eradication could be possible. Often, plants aren't weedy straight away. It can take a while, sometimes up to 100 years, for a plant to cross that threshold, and until then, they're called sleeper weeds. Just like a sleeper agent, a sleeper weed lurks under the radar before activating. The classic example, says Stanley, is the Bangalore palm, which was first introduced to New Zealand in 1898, but started a self-sustaining wild population only in 1992. This time lag between arrival and jumping the fence can be chalked up to inherently slow growth. It takes a long time for the Bangalore palm to set seed and reproduce, But other plants can be sleeper weeds for different reasons. Sometimes we don't notice a weed until it is widespread. And sometimes it's simply a numbers game. The more we plant something, the more opportunities for proliferation. In other cases, the switch from sleeper to active can sprout from environmental changes, 
such as a change in soil nutrients or the sudden appearance of a pollinator species. For example, the arrival of the fig wasp in the 1990s meant Morton Bay fig trees could reproduce. With climate change, Stanley says, we will absolutely see more sleeper weeds activate. Just one or two days less frosty in a year in Auckland could mean that things survive the winter, she says. They'll go south and they'll go up. It's early on Sunday morning and the Avondale markets are already humming. People wheel trundlers loaded with fresh produce between stalls. Danielle Hancock and Bobby Hanson stroll and peruse the offerings, but they're not here for a spot of grocery shopping. They're on high alert for pest plants on the council's banned list. The pair are from New Zealand Biosecurity Services Limited and are contracted to carry out inspections and trade monitoring on behalf of the council, checking to make sure sellers aren't inadvertently spreading pest plants even further than the birds can take them. The work requires remembering a lot of plants. We test each other with flashcards, says Hancock. The first pest plant is spotted. A bundle of leaves, heart-shaped, with a pungent fishy odour, laid alongside bunches of spring onion. It's Hutinia, a herb that can form dense colonies and suppress native seedlings. This one can't be sold, we have to take this one, says Hanson. But you're not in trouble, there's no fine. Hancock bundles the leafy bunch into a tote bag while Hanson fills out a form. The original pest plants came with British colonists bringing the tastes and aesthetics of home. As New Zealand's population diversifies, other cultures are doing the same. Hutinia is used in Chinese medicine as a COVID-19 remedy, so sometimes people are distraught when it has to be confiscated, Hancock says. Not this morning, though. But there is a language barrier. The pair carry a well-worn sheet of phrases translated into a dozen different languages. We always have to be friendly, this is about education, says Hancock. The morning yields three sets of hutinia, a couple of prickly pear cactuses, soap aloe and elephant ear. Last year, the plant du jour at the markets was turkey berry, also known as devil's fig, which has pea-sized egg-planty fruits used in Asian cuisine, but also forms impenetrable thickets. It's illegal to grow, sell or distribute turkey berry in Auckland, but you can buy the fruits frozen at the supermarket. Or you can drive up State Highway 1 to Northland, where turkey berry is farmed. A frustrating example of how disjointed weed management can be around the country. Today, Hancock and Hanson don't find any turkey berry. It's a sign that perhaps their outreach last season was successful. Or that sellers have moved underground. Of course, markets aren't the only places people sell plants. Hancock and Hanson visit nurseries and monitor what's being traded online, too. Recently, the ban on bangalow palms has caused disgruntlement. Some palm growers didn't agree they should be banned and were quite upset, says Hancock. There was a two-year lead-in to the ban, during which sellers could sell off their stock. Online, the problem can be identifying the plant in the first place. People don't know what the plant is. They just put, nice fern or nice tree, says Hancock. When she does spot a pest plant on a site like Trade Me, they'll request the listing be taken down. If the plant is on the banned list, they will have to visit the seller to retrieve it with a biosecurity warrant. This happens about once a month, says Hancock. 
most people say they didn't realise, and if they'd known, they wouldn't be selling it. Although it is monitored, Facebook Marketplace is harder to police, and it is teeming with banned weeds. An hour of rummaging through Auckland listings throws up Phoenix Palms, prickly pear cacti, English ivies, cherry guava, elephant ear, agapanthus, banned varieties of tradescantia, and bamboos. There are also multiple listings for bangalows. Fast-growing palm, $15 each, or four for $50, Mount Roskill pickup. You can't buy these retail at the moment, says another listing, offering three larger palms for $200. It's a problem many of us suffer from. Plant blindness, where anything green is good. But once you get your eye in, you start to see the forest full of weeds. The ginger sprinkled in the undergrowth. The jasmine strangling a tree. The moth plant overtaking the motorway green strips. Of course, this isn't a true invasion. The plants didn't arrive here under their own steam. We brought them here and we're bringing more. During the pandemic, we've gone berserk for houseplants, says Hancock. And people are always looking for the next colour variation, the next landscape palm, the next trend. There's a constant battle with a conveyor belt of existing species making the jump from benign garden dweller to invader. We need to be bold about being proactive and identifying what and where are the species that could be weeds in the future, says Imogen Bassett. And we need to do our homework about what we're planting. Margaret Stanley reckons an accreditation system for plants could help people make informed choices. Or we could use biology to compromise by planting only male palms or sterile plants. On January 27th, a record-breaking downpour caused devastating flooding across Auckland. Then came Cyclone Gabrielle. The sodden city is the perfect stage for a weed rebellion. Slips big and small have exposed bare earth. Nutrient-rich floodwaters are soaking the soil and carrying seeds and weeds to new front lines and back to freshly cleared battlegrounds. Bringing the fight to these weeds will be difficult. Many roads and tracks are now completely inaccessible, and repairs could take months. Once you've got bare ground, weeds can establish faster than native species, says Stanley. And it's a grim cycle. Weed roots often don't have the spread or depth to hold the soil together, priming steep, weedy patches for future slips. Just when you think you're winning, says Stanley, the war starts again. That was Jungle Warfare by Alan Rikers, published in New Zealand Geographic's March-April issue. The detail's long read is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. We'll be back next week with a new long read. Ka kite anō. Ka kite anō.